Good morning. Welcome. For those of you I haven't had a chance to meet, my name is John. I'm the pastor here. I also sing a little bit. I'm glad that you're here with us. And if it's your first time with us, you picked a great week to come. We've just started a study together through the book of Romans. And it's going to take us a little while, okay? It'll take us about 30 weeks to get through the book of Romans, and that's doing it quick, okay? So I'm so glad for those of you that are making the commitment to be here and to to be in this study with us. We started it last week and really did an introduction, so even if it is your first time and you want to roll with us through this series, you can catch that one online, YouTube, or on the website. Um, But we're setting up the book of Romans as we talk about the good news. I I got a question for you, all right? Well, actually, I have good news and bad news. Uh, Which do you want first? Good news? Bad news? Okay, I'm curious. Now, listen, this is a thing that we do, right? Where, where if when you have good news and bad news, you go to the person and you say, I've got good news and I've got bad news. Which do you want? How many of you are um, bad news first people? Who wants the bad news? Okay, all right, all right. I, I'm, a, I'm me too, okay? I'm with you on that. I always want the bad news first. How many of you are good news first people? I don't get you at all. Brenda, the res- I, don't, I don't get you at all. I, I, I don't understand that. I don't know why you would want to be lifted up and then torn down and just left down here. I don't, I don't want to be there. Is it just because you want to get to the good news first? Perspective. So you want the good news to, per- to give perspective on the bad news. Ooh. Maybe you are smarter than me. <laughs> I was questioning that because I always thought, why not, you know, tear me down first and then build me up with the good news. Go, go bad news first. Maybe I'm wrong. But anyway, wow, I'm having like an ex- existential crisis right now on who I am and the choices I've made in life. I don't know. I'm very disoriented. I don't know if I should preach this message. Honestly, I feel like maybe I'm upside down. But, <laughs> you know, we ask that question. You want the good news? You want the bad news? And any time, in this case, as Paul is talking about what he's talking about in this book, there's a whole lot of good news, and he's going to spend a lot of time on the good news. But there is bad news that sets up the good news. And so today, we're going to be reading a passage that focuses, I'm afraid, on the bad news. And I don't I don't want this to be a downer. I'm going to do the best I can not for this to be a downer, but this is the reality of life, and it needs to be talked about. And without the bad news, there is no need for the good news in this case. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, Paul, for those of you maybe who weren't with us last week or if you've never looked at the book of Romans, um, it is written by Paul. He's an apostle who established a lot of churches, um, maybe the greatest church planner that ever lived, certainly the most influential, I would say. And he had traveled around to a lot of places like Corinth and Philippi and all these places. And he wrote letters to those churches. But he also wrote a letter to the Christians who were in Rome. And it's very significant to us. And that's why we're taking 30 weeks to study it. But he's writing to Christians in Rome that he's never actually been there to meet. He's, he, he's a Roman citizen by birth, but as a follower of Jesus, he has never been to Rome to preach or establish a church or anything. And the church in Rome is just getting started. It's, it's, it's not even considered a legitimate religion by the leaders in that area. And this is when the Roman Empire is just starting to take off. It's just starting to take root and eventually is going to become like the global superpower. So this is a very important city, and there are Christians living in Rome, but there is no organized church in Rome. 
There's no, they're not getting together at the normal theater of Rome on Sunday morning to sing and listen to God's word. They are meeting just in like apartments or tenements or people's houses, very small groups of people. And Paul knows some of the people that are there and leading, but he's never been there and there is no like official church. So the church is sort of fledgling and getting started while the Roman Empire is sort of fledgling and getting started and they're gonna grow together. But Christianity really hasn't taken root in Rome yet. It will eventually, through some tremendous persecution and then a couple of Caesars that, are, that, that persecute Christians, eventually the Emperor Constantine is going to accept Jesus Christ as his Savior and then begins what we know as the Holy Roman Empire and the centralization of, of the church and all that. But at this point, they are just getting started. And Paul said last week, he said, I really want to get there. I want to get to you, and, and, and I haven't been able to yet, but I really want to get there so that I can use my gift to establish you. Like, I want to build your foundation. I want to, I, want, I want to draw you together. I want you to make sure that you have a good foundation of theology and doctrine and understanding of what the good news is and all of that. But he hasn't been able to get there yet, and spoiler alert, he won't, in, at least in that capacity. He'll end up back in Rome as a, as a uh, prisoner but not in the capacity that he wants. And so what he does is he writes in this letter to kind of to, to pave the way and to set the standard for them. And that's what the book of Romans is all about. But before he can give them all of this good news, he has to make the case for the bad news. They need to understand why the good news is needed, why they need to respond to the gospel. And so uh, that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to be in Romans chapter 1, if you want to turn there, if you have your Bibles with you. Um, And we're going to be in verse 18. We left off in verse 17 last week, so we'll pick up in 18. All right, Romans chapter 1, verse 18, giving you just a second to get there if you're trying to get it. All right, this is where we begin. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Now, the wrath of God is bad news, okay? (laughs) That is bad news. The wrath of God is revealed. He had just said, though, in the previous passage, in the previous verse, verse 17, he said that the, uh, the, for in this, or in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. So he's contrasting two things. And he's saying, in Christ, the righteousness of God has been revealed, So he kind of does start with the good news, actually. Just really short, all right? The the righteousness of God has been revealed from faith to faith. And then he says, also, the wrath of God has been revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And he uses those two words, and I think they're very intentional. Uh, Ungodliness, the word he uses for ungodliness means a disregard for who God is, a disregard for God. So that would be turning a blind eye to God or uh, pretending that he isn't there or that he isn't powerful or that he doesn't have control um, or power. And so a disregard of God. And then the second word is unrighteousness, which is a defiance of God's will. So I know God exists, but I'm going to do it this other way anyway. So either one of those things, whether it's turning a blind eye to God or recognizing God and going against him anyway, he said the wrath of God is poured out against that. And this is important. It's important for you to understand that God cares about sin. He hates sin. He actively hates sin. And this would have been important for the Romans to understand because they were influenced by Greek philosophy, and and, uh, one of those would have been Aristotle very strongly. What Aristotle taught about what he called the supreme being 
was that the supreme being was the unmoved mover. He was he was directing everything. He was the cause of everything. This God supreme being out here was making everything happen, but he didn't care. He was above that. He set things in motion. He created everything. He did all that, but he was just he just turned away from creation after he made it. And so it's important for Romans who might follow the teaching of Aristotle or be steeped in that teaching to understand that God does care and he is active and he is watching and paying attention and that God hates sin because it is contrary to him and his nature and his creation. It fights against creation. Now the wrath of God, it says, is revealed from heaven against ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. The wrath of God is not revealed against men. It's revealed against their ungodliness and their unrighteousness. And now this makes perfect sense to me, by the way, as a parent. Have you ever, has your kid ever disobeyed you? How do you, yeah, how do you feel about that? (laughs) Wrath could be a good word. You know, when they know what they're supposed to do, and they do it anyway. That's the worst. When they know what they're supposed to do, and they do it anyway. Oh, man. It is hard to describe the level. Like I said, wrath. It's a pretty good word. I don't know. It's a pretty good word. The thing is, when they do that, I hate what they did. (laughs) I hate it. I do not hate them. But I hate what they did. And God feels the same way about sin. Every time that we, every time that we, we uh, turn away from him, any time we reject him, and he's saying that humanity has done this as a whole, and God hates that. Rightfully so. He's in the right place to judge that. Rightfully so. And then he goes on, and he's going to describe what this exactly looks like. Let's keep going. Verse, uh, the second part of verse 18. Uh, It's against the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest to them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. Even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So what Paul is saying, obviously, is they're they're without excuse. That a person can't say, well, you know, I never considered the fact that there might be a God. Nobody has ever been blindsided by that. I I don't think that anybody is ever going to stand in front of God in his presence or or experience him, and they're going to go, huh, I just never thought that this was even possible. Because the evidence of God is all around us. All around us. And and Paul's talking about the fact that people saw that and they intentionally turned the other way, rejected it. And not only has it been happened through all of history, but it happens even with us. We see it and we reject it anyway. Where do we see it? (laughs) Literally everywhere. (laughs) Everywhere. Creation. My goodness, the, 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 there's this idea, and it's perpetuated by some Christians, but there's this idea that Christians are anti-science. 
or, or, or the people pit the scripture against science or Christians against science. That is just the dumbest thing I've ever heard of in my entire life, quite frankly. Because God created all of this, and he created it knowable and discoverable. And, and he wants us to see him in it. And so the more that we discover, the more that we unpack it, and as, as science is, is, is getting more and more sophisticated, as we're developing more tools and understandings and being able to investigate even like microbiology and, and on, the, on the, the micro level, but being able also to see on the macro level, every time we see it as Christians, we should be amazed at the, the intricacy and the awesomeness of the creator. The, the more intricate a system is, the more obvious the engineer is. And so we should just be blown away by these discoveries and come at them with a, with a sense of worship and awe instead of rejection. Like there's somehow some kind of contrast between the two. The, the idea that Scripture wouldn't agree with science makes no sense at all in my mind, as long as our understanding of Scripture is correct and our study of science is correct. They should line up perfectly, and as far as I can tell, they do. And so we have to, we have to work through that. But like on, on a macro level, the, the, the pictures, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, I think, but the pictures that are coming back from the James Webb Telescope of, of the, the vastness and the immenseness and the beauty of space and all this, every time I see one of those images, I'm just blown away. I saw a picture this past week of Jupiter and its rings and the, like the most high-resolution picture of Jupiter we've ever had, and it is gorgeous. And to think that God created all of that to look at, at the creation around us and like to sit down and watch the sunset. Or, or the, yeah, sunset. We'll go with sunset. I'm never up real. I'm going up. I'm going the wrong way. Yeah, sorry. Because I, I was going to say sunrise, but then in my head I was like, I don't know the last time I actually saw a sunrise. I'm a late sleeper. So anyway, so the sun, to watch a, to watch a sunset and to know the scientific principles about that, that the, unit, that, the, that the world is spinning on its orbit and that it's moving, you know, you know, pulling away from the sun and that the sun is dropping and that the sky is getting red because of the, the uh, particles that are in the atmosphere and the refraction of light that's coming through. Like we understand the scientific principles that make a sunset what it is. But then to know that God created the principles that allowed that sunset to look the way that it looks and give us that kind of beauty at the start of the day, from what I hear, and the end of the day, from my experience, it's unbelievable. It's just so unbelievable. And, and, and to look at that and to know, man, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. It, it, it adds, I think, adds a level of deep appreciation to the world around us and to God's creation and to what he's done and our desire to investigate it and understand it more and to find him more and more in it is beautiful and incredible. And then to look at things like one of the things I think you, you ask people and you get this question, you say, well, where do you see God? And I've heard this so many times. I've never seen God more clearly than when I saw my child be born. You've ever experienced that. And that's, now listen, we understand all the physical, we know the, the, the anatomical, biological aspects of a child being born. We, we know how that works for the most part. And it's, it is beautiful to see God's system and his design in that. But I, I, having experienced that myself, and I think this is something that goes to the, like the, the core of who we are in our experience and in our experience of creation and seeing God in it. 
is that when you look at humanity, you look at a human, you look at yourself, or you look at your children or your spouse or your friends, you know that there is something more happening in people than just chemicals and electrical responses. Like, we, we are not just bags of chemicals. That's not what I am. I am not just firing neurons. There is something deeper. There is something happening in me that has happened in me on a soul level, on a spirit level, and the same thing is true for you. And I think that's what you see in a child being born. It's not just, it's not just you know, reproduction. It's, it's, it's life. And it's something deeper than the physical world that we understand, and we don't know exactly how it works. And that's because it is a work of God. And so to see that and be blown away with that, and Paul is saying, listen, you as a human being cannot look at all of this and not at some point put it together. That at least maybe there is someone or something that has created all of this. Which is why through all of history, there have been so many different systems of religion or understandings of God or how this works and all, all over the place. And what we know and what we believe as Christians is that God has revealed himself to us. We don't have to go chasing after him. He chose to reveal himself to us. And he chose to make a way for us to return to him and into good favor with him and in, into right standing with him. And he did it through his son. And how incredible. And Paul says, listen, we are without excuse. We can't say we never thought about it. If, 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 if the physical is all there is in life, then what even really matters, quite frankly? Because everything we do is just a rearranging of molecules. There's something deeper and there's something better that is happening in the world, and we can see that. And so Paul says, from this creation, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood, by the things that are made. We can see it in, we can see the creator in the creation. But he says, he goes on in verse 21, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Uh, they, they had, a, in Rome, a very present culture of idol worship. And I mean, physical things, and this was all around them. You know, there, there are um, histories of, of images that people have made and try to replace God. And I think it comes back to this, this, this problem where we so desperately want something physical to worship. We want something tangible. We want something in front of us, something we can see and hear and touch and taste and whatever. We, we, we ha- want this physical thing because we struggle so greatly to touch and to tap, tap into what is spiritual and what is real and what is deep. And sometimes that's just laziness. Sometimes it's, it's, it's worldliness, but for them it was creating images of, you know, animals and beasts or, or taking human beings and deifying them. Now, this is a pretty big problem in Rome because the, the, cult, the, emperor's cult, the cult of the emperor has already been established, and people are worshiping the emperor of Rome as a god. It began with uh, Caesar Augustus. He was the first to establish that. 
Uh, you might f- be familiar with him from some things in the Bible. All right. It was established with him, and so people are worshiping man. They're worshiping this man in particular. We see, uh, for example, and you're going to talk about this a little bit in your groups this week, um, but we see where Moses is going up on Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments, and he's up there longer than the people think he should be up there, and they get impatient. And so they go to they go to Aaron and they say, Aaron, why don't you give us something to worship? And so they take everybody's gold jewelry and they melt it down and they make a calf out of it, and everybody starts worshiping the calf. And then Moses comes down from the from the mountain, having met with God with the Ten Commandments in hand, and they're worshiping a cow. You know? This is this is human nature. It's human nature to do that. And even today, if you look around, there are idols all around us. And they may not look like golden calves, and there may not be people that we're saying are God himself. But there are idols all around us. That's one of the things you'll talk about in group this week, too. What are some of those things? So we can understand that we do the same thing that they have done. And Paul Paul is writing this. We talked about this last week. He's writing this from Corinth. And Corinth is like one of the major cities of the Greek empire. And so they have idol worship all around them. It's, he's sitting in the middle of it while he's writing it and knowing that they are too. We desperately want something tangible and physical to worship. And so, uh, Paul says, this goes on in verse 24, therefore, God also gave them up. He's going to say this phrase three times. I want you to notice it every time that we get to it. God gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. See, and they made a bad um, trade. Instead of worshiping the one who created it all, they chose to worship the things he created. Um, several years ago, I think it was in the first, maybe the first year um, that our church, uh, after it started, um, we did a series called Fishing for the Moon. I don't know if any of you were around and you remember that one, but we had this graphic, and the, 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 the image was a man sitting in a boat at night, and you had the moon in the sky, and you had the moon in the water, and he decided that he wanted to catch the moon, and so he threw a line into the water. And how often we worship or chase after the reflection of what is actually true and good. The image, uh, a distorted, a rippled uh, image that will never satisfy us. And so we too, we take things that God has created, and they may not even be bad things, but we take things that God has created and we elevate them into his position. And that they might be things and they might be people. And we worship and serve the created thing rather than worshiping and serving the creator. And people have done this. We've all done this. And people have done it since the beginning of humanity. And it brings God's wrath. It says, uh, Paul said, that God gave them up. And he's, like I said, he's going to say this three times as in our passage today. And here's what it means. It means God let them choose. And I want you to know that God lets you choose. If you, even faced with the reality of God all around you, if you want to choose to reject him, 
and to not accept him and to live your life without him now and forever, he lets you choose that. And as you choose that, you are also choosing the consequences of that. That the wrath of God toward all unrighteousness and ungodliness would rest on you. But the good news, and he's not going to get to it in our passage, but I'm going to get to it now. The good news is that we are not doomed to that fate. Because in God's love, he sent his son, Jesus, and Jesus, fully God and fully man, lived here on earth without sin. The wrath of God did not rest on Jesus. He lived completely without sin, and then he gave his life on the cross in our place. He gave his life, sacrificed himself for us, the greatest love ever displayed for anyone, ever, anywhere, gave his life on the cross for you, for me, for everyone. He was put into a tomb. On the third day, he rose again. He ain't not dead. He is alive. And just as he has life, you can have life, but it, we can have life, but it only comes through believing in him and trusting in him for salvation. We put our faith and trust in him for salvation. We become a child of God, and we are going to spend eternity with him. But hear this. Even after we make that choice, and we know we're going to be with him forever, we have a life to live. And as we live that life, God gives you a choice. You have a choice. You have a choice on whether you're going to live your life and, and transform and rearrange and adjust and recenter your life into what he created you for, what is honoring to him, recognizing him, and honoring to him or continuing to live in the way that the world does. And he lets you choose. But he also allows the consequences of those choices to come in our life now. I can tell you how many times I have sinned, or you have sinned, or I've hurt someone else, and they, made, they, they walked away from God, and they made their choice, and then they beg God, and they ask God to get them out of the consequences of that sin. He lets us choose. He lets us choose, and then we have to walk through the consequences of that. Or we can choose to honor him and follow him and walk in his desire and enjoy the fruit of that, the benefits of that, the peace, the hope, and the joy that comes. And I don't know about you, but I want that as much as I can get it. And so it means making the right choice. God gave them up. He gives a specific example of this. Romans chapter 1, we're in verse 26. For this reason, God gave them up. Here it is again. God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another. Men with men, committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of the error which was due. Now, this is, shall we say, the elephant in the room of this passage. All right, hotly debated passage of Scripture. Um, and I will keep this PG since we have mixed company in the room, okay? But all I'm going to say, well, that's not all I'm going to say, but let me say first, <laughs> Paul said what he said, and he meant what he said. 
And, and people will try to take this passage and twist it and use it other ways or try and explain it away, and you can't explain it away. What he meant is what he meant. What he said is what he said. And I think that the important thing for us to understand is that Paul, he's not, I don't think that he is singling this one thing out as particularly uh, bad or anything like that. I think what he's doing is he's using this example because he thinks it is a prime, obvious example of the point that he's making. It is just the, the most tangible point he can think of for the point that he's making. And so he's looking at people who are engaging in this behavior, and he is saying, he is saying, here you have a very clearly defined system process, okay? Again, I'm keeping this PG. A very clearly defined system. And so you can see in this system what God's desire is. But people looked at that very clear system and they said, no, that's not what I want to do. I'm going to do something else. So he's using it as an example of seeing God in creation and rejecting his will in it. So that's why he points this out. And he's not done. He's going to give a whole list here in a minute that's going to catch all of us in one way or another, by the way. So he's just using it as a prime example. And we need to uh, understand it's a choice that we make, and, and we're all full of desires. And all of us need to understand that our desire may be different than that, but we still have desires. Our passions may be different than that, but we still have passions. And we have a choice on whether we are going to follow those things or whether we are going to choose to do what is clearly God's desire for us. And then when we make those choices, we walk with the consequences and the outcomes of those choices. We need to understand that even if we are a forgiven child of God, he still hates it when we make the choice to walk away from him or ignore him or defy him. And there are consequences here that he's not obligated to protect us from or deliver us from. He goes on, and he's going he's gonna to broaden this out. He's going to catch us all. Uh, verse 28 And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, let me just pause here for a second. They did not like to retain God in their knowledge. That's such a poetic way to say that. But I I picture this like when my kids were little and they would cover their eyes. Then they'd be like, if I can't see you, you can't see me. You can't see me. You know, that's, that's, that's like in my head the translation of this. They did not like to retain him in their knowledge. So God gave them over. Here it is again. This is the third time. God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being fulfilled with all unrighteousness. And here's the list. See if it catches you. Unrighteousness, sexual immorality, Wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things. Kind of my favorite in the list. It's like, it's like the et cetera. All right, inventors of evil things, 
disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. Who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. He said these things are not fitting. They don't make sense. They are not consistent with what God has created. It's not consistent with what God has created in the world, and it's not consistent with what God has created in you. These things are unfitting. And all we need to do is look at creation and then look at that list, and then we know those things are unfitting or should not, that they don't make sense. There's actually, there's kind of four categories of things that he talks about, and in your groups this week, you're going to talk about those four categories and what each of them are, and, and um, he talks about, um, when he talks from like unrighteousness to maliciousness, he's talking about internal sin, the things that are happening in our heart and our mind. He talks about envy and evil-mindedness, and those are relational sins, those are, those are interpersonal with us and other people. He um, says they're whisperers, all the way up to being inventors of evil, and those have to do with verbal things and things that we say. And, um, and then the last part where he goes from disobedient uh, to parents all the way through unmerciful, all of those start with A's um, in, in Greek that he wrote in. So they all start with the letter alpha. So, um, so it's, it's like him just, it's the list, 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 and then bang, 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 all starting with the same letter. You know, he's building up and he's drawing, he's casting a wide net to catch everyone so that everyone can see, yes, this is humanity, choosing those things. And not only choosing this stuff, but approving it in other people. When what we should be doing is drawing each other into the will of God and into the desire of God and pulling each other closer to what we've been created for, not away from it. And because of these choices, the wrath of God rests on men with its penalty. But just as the wrath of God has been revealed, the righteousness of God has been revealed. That even though we are lost and even though we have turned our back on God as a people and as individuals, and even though we are born with this attitude of sin, the good news is that in Christ, when we put our faith in him, we can be forgiven and we can be free. And that penalty, that wrap, that lifts up off of our shoulders, almost like a physical, spiritual weight coming off our shoulders. And now we're free. We're free to understand who we were really created to be. We're free to love God and know God and not fear him because we're confident in the gospel. We're free to walk with him and to to step into this desire and the way he designed for us to life, free to live the way we were created to live in the first place that we lost, free to live with hope and with joy and with life and with faith and with love to connect with God in that way, to be able to connect with each other in a way that is pure and holy and true and righteous and eternal and to enjoy the time that we have here uh, as far as we can (laughs) with everything happening around us in the fallen world that we live in. To see light in the darkness, joy in the hopelessness, Peace in the chaos, all because we know we have been lifted out of the bad news and into the good news by faith in Jesus Christ. And just as the bad news is for everybody, 
the good news is for everybody as well. Anybody can receive it. The Apostle John, maybe Jesus' best friend, says this in his gospel. John chapter 1, verse 10. He was in the world, Jesus, he was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. That even though the bad news does rest on us in Christ, the good news can as well. And so all of us need to make a decision. He gives us up and he lets us choose. And this is what love does, it lets us choose. And he lets you choose. And if you've never chosen to put your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation, do it today. Do it today. Believe in him for salvation. Recognize your sin, recognize your fallenness, and recognize that God sent a Savior for you and accept him today. And for those of you, this includes me, that have made that decision a long time ago. We put our faith in Jesus Christ for salvation, and we're walking life now. We have a choice to make today. We have a choice on whether we are going to walk in the gospel and walk in faithfulness to him, or whether we're going to make the choice that so many others have and that we have in the past too, to take the created things and replace them for the creator. That's a choice today. And so let's go to him in prayer now, and we're going to ask him to lead us in this, to give us self-awareness of where we are with him, and uh, to move in our life so that we can walk more closely with him. Let's, Let's go to him in prayer. Father, thank you so much. Thank you that even though your wrath did rest on us because of our ungodliness, our unrighteousness, because of sin, that you loved us so much. You cared for us so much that you didn't just walk away and say, you know what, these people will just get what they deserve. God, we thank you so much that you didn't give us what we deserve. You gave us what we didn't deserve. Christ, that you would come and you would sacrifice yourself for us on the cross and give your life for us. That we might have your righteousness We don't deserve it. We don't deserve it for a second, for a moment. So we thank you that you are gracious, God, that you are merciful. And that even though we have taken your create, your beautiful, miraculous, wonderful, beautiful, awe-inspiring creation, and we've taken and put it in your place, forgive us for that. Thank you for your grace that, Christ, you gave your life on the cross in our place. That by faith we can accept you and be forgiven. And know that just as Jesus, you had life walking out of the tomb, we too have life eternal. I pray, God, that you lead someone today to accept that. 
you become part of your family today for the first time. Pray for every believer here who's made that decision but wants to walk more faithfully with you to no longer live the way that everyone else lives or no longer live the way that they used to live, but to replace those idols, those things that we put in place in our life that we've worshiped and served and put you there in your rightful place. And so for each of us, we ask that you speak to us. Maybe you already have, but you continue speaking to us now and you show us where we've done this, maybe where we've stepped away and we've made the choice and, and you've allowed us to walk that path. But we ask that right now you would recenter us, redirect us so that we can walk faithfully with you, confidently with you. to know that in your, your greatness and your vastness and your power that you do love us and you are involved and you care actively about every single one of us, that you love me, you love every person sitting in this room. You know us. And you love us and you want us to walk with you. To be your children. And so I, I ask God for me, for, for everyone here, that you would draw us in, you pull us in, rein us in. Show us how you want us to live, how you want us to serve, how you want us to worship you, how you want us to express our love and our gratitude and our amazement in you. Don't let anything pull us off or away. to rest in the knowledge of your goodness and your love and your grace for us. And to have the presence of mind, the presence of heart, the presence of spirit to do that every single day. Not just when we gather, not just when we're reminded by someone else, but for you to remind us day in and day out so we can walk faithfully with you. Because we want to not only accept the good news, we want to live in the good news. So God, we want you to know that we're trusting you today and that we love you today and everything that we're doing, everything that we're thinking, we offer it to you now. As worship and appreciation and joy and love. It's in your name we pray. Amen.